Who is the rightful king? Who is the rightful ruler and king of your life? That's the question. Welcome to the Tabernacle. Uh, my name's John. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, so glad that you joined us. I don't know what it's like in Manistee this morning, but worship here is bumping. Would you agree? As the kids say. But that's our question. Who is the rightful king? Who is the rightful ruler of my life? And most of us, uh, if you call yourself a Christian, the easy answers, the Sunday school answers to say, well, Jesus is the king. He's He's God, but I, I don't know about you, but I find myself um, saying that, but then I, I kind of like to scooch him off the throne every once in a while, or not to offend anybody, but if, you know, kind of like musical chairs, if I can just get one cheek on there, make it, maybe I can lay claim to this area or that area. Maybe I can rule with my kids, or maybe I try to rule with my marriage. But this was the bigger question uh, that was the main question in Israel almost 3,000 years ago. Who is the rightful king? Because it's a question that hadn't been determined there. And for us, it has to be determined. Because either God and his son, Jesus Christ, will be the rightful king of every area of my life, or I'm gonna claim it for myself, or at least a king that I approve of. And so with that question in mind, if you turn with me to 1 Kings, we're going to continue in this epic story, this epic journey. And I know I say it all the time, but uh, 1 Kings is fast becoming one of my favorite books of the Bible. And don't worry, I've got 45 more weeks to convince you. <laughs> so where, where we are in the story, and just settle back because we're reading a, a, a longer portion today. And we're dealing with names that aren't familiar to us in a time and a place, but it really hasn't changed that much. We'll see a shadow of things to come in the gospel, and we'll see if we're looking carefully a shadow of our own life and how we're going to answer that question is who is or who will be the rightful king. The setting is uh, the living king at that time, King David, is dying. He's fading away. He, he, he can't get warm. He's on his deathbed. And in the vacuum created by that, his oldest living son, Adonijah, has made claim to the throne. He's exalted himself. He wants to be king. He wants to rule. He said in his heart and out loud, I will be king. And he's starting to use the mechanisms of the world to make sure that can happen. That's no different than me. That's no different from you, if you're honest. And what he's done is he's got Joab, the military commander, and he's found a priest that'll, that'll kind of play along with him. And he's gotten all the people that will say yes and not no around him. And at the serpent stone in a secret little ceremony, he's had a big barbecue and they're saying, long live King Adonijah. His daddy's not dead. And that's where we come to the story. So we're in chapter one of first Kings starting in verse 11, and we'll put our main text uh, today on the screen. It says, Then Nathan said to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David our Lord does not know it? Now therefore come, 
Let me give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go in at once to King David and say to him, did you not, my lord, the king, swear to your servant, saying, Solomon, your son shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne? Why then is Adonijah king? Then while you are still speaking with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. And you'll remember that Nathan is the prophet of God that speaks the word of God and he sees that this is happening. He was not invited to the coronation because he speaks the truth of God. And he's warning Bathsheba, one of the wives of David, that she is in danger if Adonijah is king and so is her son Solomon. Verse 15. So Bathsheba went to the king in his chamber. Now the king was very old and Abishag the Shunammite was attending to the king. Bathsheba bowed and paid homage to the king and the king said, what do you desire? She said to him, my Lord, you swore to your servant by the Lord your God saying, Solomon, your son shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne. And now behold, Adonijah is king, although you, my lord, the king, do not know it. He has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he is not invited. And now, my lord, the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord, the king, after him. Otherwise, it will come to pass when my Lord the King sleeps with his fathers that I and my son Solomon will be counted offenders. While she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet came in and they told the king, here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, my Lord the King, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down this day and has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the king's sons, the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priest. And behold, they are eating and drinking before him and saying, long live King Adonijah, but me, your servant and Zadok the priest and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and your servant Solomon, he is not invited. Has this thing been brought about by my Lord, the King, and you have not told your servants who should sit on the throne of my Lord, the King after him? So you see, this was the question, who will be king? And we don't know if uh, it was public that Solomon was the chosen one, but Adonijah's made a play. He's a pretender to the throne and he's gotten all the right people to go along with him. And now Bathsheba, and her son Solomon are in danger because if he secures this throne, it will not go well for them. So they execute their little plan and now it's up to David to respond. Verse 28. Then King David answered, call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king and the king swore saying, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity, as I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, 
saying, Solomon, your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place. Even so will I do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and paid homage to the king and said, may my Lord King David live forever. King David said, call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king, and the king said to them, take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, long live King Solomon. You shall then come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, for he shall be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king, say so. As the Lord has been with my Lord, the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. Verse 38, so Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. There Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy so that the earth was split by their noise. This is God's word. And in Israel on that day, the question was answered, who was the rightful king? And that's the question for us as well. And how did we put the rightful king in place? So the story is a story of who will be the rightful king, but it's also a story of faith. And so if I'm to divide this story up so we can understand it, because I get it. I mean, I've studied this uh, for the past couple of months and weeks leading up to this. And you're just saying there's a whole lot of names and why are we blowing trumpets and what's happening? I'm here for you. Okay, I only work one day a week for this moment. You ready? If I was to divide it up, and if you're a note taker, which I don't expect that you are, I've lived in Michigan long enough that you'll do whatever you want. But if you're a note taker, I've kind of divided the chronology this way. And the first is, first we see a holy conspiracy. There's a holy conspiracy. And this is brought about by the prophet Nathan and Solomon's mother Bathsheba. It's a holy conspiracy to bring to David's attention what's happening as he's on his deathbed. Then we see faith, faith goes into action. Not just the faith of Nathan and the faith of Bathsheba, but the faith of David, the faith of Zadok, the faith of of Jehoiada, and the faith of those who crowned Solomon the rightful king. And then the last thing we saw at the end, we see that God's king is crowned. God's king is crowned. And it says that at that, at that coronation of Solomon, uh, uh, that they're rejoicing. It says the earth was split by their noise. Now, was that literal or figurative? 
You know, the cynical side of me wants to say, well, that was probably figurative. It's a figure of speech. But I read the rest of the Bible, and this is the God who you know, spoke everything into existence, parted Red Seas, brought people back from the dead, made the sun stand still. If it says split, then I believe it. The earth was split by their noise at the crowning of God's king, the rightful king. So let's break this down. First, the holy conspiracy. There's a tendency among scholars that have a lot of degrees or cynics when it comes to God's word to say that Nathan and Bathsheba, the little plan that they had to bring this to David's attention was no different than Adonijah grasping for the crown. That, look, they're making a power play just like he did. And, and, and Nathan's like, oh, you know, kind of manipulative and, and he's going to Bathsheba first and then he makes a plan about how we're gonna do this and how we're gonna do that and then we'll convince David to make your son Solomon the king so it'll go well for you and, and somehow well for me. And that's simply not true because we already covered, if you were with us last week, that we know God has made this amazing promise in 2 Samuel 7 to David that someone of your line will sit on the throne of Israel forever forever and ever. And if you've been playing along with us, you see that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who sits not only on the throne of Israel, but the throne of the universe forever and ever. He's of the line of David. So he makes this amazing promise. In 2 Samuel 12, we remember that at Solomon's birth, that Nathan the prophet was given a message of God to go to David and say, this is the one that's favored. Call his name Solomon Jedediah, meaning favorite of God. And that's confirmed, and we're going to nerd out for a minute, but we're the tabernacle. We can do it. Most of us know where our Bibles are. So if we flip over to 1 Chronicles real quick, it goes 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. If you didn't go to Bible school or you never took an Old Testament thing, 1 and 2 Chronicles is almost like an official record of 1 and 2 Kings. Right? So 1 and 2 Kings is kind of the story, and then 1 and 2 Chronicles is more like the encyclopedia list of what's going. But it fills in some gaps for us. And so watch this. In, in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, it records a moment earlier in David's life, after he'd been crowned king, he's established in Jerusalem, God has given him a home, a palace, and one day he's in his palace, looking out over Jerusalem, reflecting on all that God has done. He's taken a little break from writing all the Psalms, put his harp, his electric guitar over to the side. And he's thinking about why is it that I live in this palace? It's a great question. But God is inhabiting a tent. And you'll remember at that time, the Ark of the Covenant, the holy place, was inside the tabernacle of which this church is named. <laughs> and, and, and it was just a tent. And so David sees there's a problem with that. And it just occurred to me, boy, that should bother some of us too. <laughs> the mansions we live in, well, this is doing okay. But he says to himself, I'm gonna build a temple for God. And God, through the prophet Nathan, tells David, no. And so in 1 Chronicles 22, and words matter, starting right around verse 9, God says to David, you shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Remember, David was a giant killer. He was a soldier. He was a warrior. 
He fought all the eens on ever, all the sides. Remember the Philistines and the, well, the other steens, right? He's, there's so much blood on his hands. But look what he says to him. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies. For his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son and I will be his father and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. So if we go back to the holy conspiracy, David knew that Solomon was God's chosen king, that he was the rightful king to come after him. And Bathsheba knew it too because David had swore an oath to her. I swear to you, our son Solomon will take the throne. You see, the world would say, no, it goes to the oldest son. But God doesn't do things the way the world does. And so Adonijah may be laying claim to the throne, but it's not his to take. It's only God's to give. And that's a lesson for us. So many of us want to rule our own lives and be the supreme commander in our marriage and with our kids and with our futures and our retirement and our money and our health. And you're simply not God. We're not God. And that's been our major concern since the garden. God's chosen Solomon. Nathan knows it. David knows it. Bathsheba knows it. And I think word had started to spread. And so what Nathan does in this holy conspiracy is he simply goes as a wise man, a mouthpiece of God, and he goes to Bathsheba and he says, there's a problem here. Adonijah's claimed the crown for himself. And now you're in danger and Solomon is in danger. This is what we'll do. And when we hear the word conspiracy, we think devious, but not when it's for God and for his kingdom and for his promise. And if we're looking carefully, they're acting in faith. This is what God has promised, but we need to do something. Now this begs the eternal question, well, I thought God was in control. I thought God was sovereign. I think God determines the days and the hours and all the answer to that is yes. But God's people are not called to sit passively by and wait. That's why the God of the universe can say to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. And churches that don't do that, they end up dying because instead of going, they're staying. In faith, they're supposed to act. I'm getting ahead of myself. And so Nathan goes to Bathsheba and says, here's the plan. You'll go in first because you're his wife or one of his wives. And you can get an audience and you'll declare this to him. And then I'll come in right after you. Why was this a conspiracy? Well, if you know your Bible, you know that the Old Testament law said for a charge to be taken seriously, it has to be by at least two witnesses. And so they're going to come, bam, bam, one in a row. And it's interesting. I mean, if in, in my mind's eye, because I try to remind myself as I read the scripture, these are real people. And, and remember, David was a man after God's own heart, but David was also a man who sinned against God sometimes. And he wasn't supposed to have eight wives, but he had at least eight and concubines and children by those wives and children by those concubines. And all his sin brought was a whole lot of heartache and pain. And here comes Bathsheba. And I don't know where she was in the pecking order. I've got a feeling she might have been one of the favorites. And she comes into the king's 
bedchamber where he's cold and can't get warm. And think about the faith and the courage that that took. Think about what she had to get past as a woman. And I know it was a different era and it was a different time and she had her own palace and she probably had a good thing going, but still, and who knows how old she was, maybe in her 40s or 50s. And she comes in and there's Abishag, the latest beauty queen. You ever thought about that? Not a sermon in there. I'm just thinking out loud. She says, David, I'm in danger. Have you not heard that your son Adonijah has done this? Did you not swear to me? Did you not swear to me that our son Solomon would be king? And while she's still speaking, they announce Nathan. And the implication is that Bathsheba was excused. And then the prophet Nathan has an audience and he repeats the same thing. And he puts it as a question. Did you not say that it was Solomon? Have you made some sort of proclamation that all of Israel doesn't know about? It's a holy conspiracy. It's a holy conspiracy. And so then we see faith go into action again. And I love this picture. The man after God's own heart, who's also an imperfect man, a man who sinned against God, in his old age, near death, he rallies one more time. He rallies one more time. And he leads by faith. Call Bathsheba back in here. And he swears an oath on top of his oath. As the... Lord lives, I love this, as the Lord lives, and look at his faith, you still have a Bible there, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity. He's reminded who this God is, who has been with him by faith all through these years, who has saved him from his enemies, who has saved him from his, himself, who saved him when his child died, who saved him when, then when God blessed again, who saved him from the rebellious usurper Absalom, this son who was killed by Joab. As I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne in my place. And here's the, the new oath. Even so will I do this day. And we don't know how Solomon or how old he was at this time. There's speculation he may have been as young as 12 he may have been, at the, at, at the most, he's in his early 20s. And this usurper is, you know, 35. He qualifies to run for president of the United States. Did you pay attention in government class? I'm just checking, all right? He says, I will do it this day. You know, and what's interesting, and, and God tells the best stories. There's so many layers. It's hard to know. Do you know what the name Bathsheba means. It means daughter of the oath. Daughter of the oath. And God knew that when her mom and dad named her. And he knew that it would play out into this moment. And so this God who is sovereign and who is always working for our good, he's also working in conjunction with our free choices. There's no conflict. And so the daughter of the oath reminds David of his oath and David calls her back in and makes another oath on top of it. 
Faith goes into action. David rallies by faith. He leads by faith. And he says, call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. And he has instructions for them. Now, don't miss this because God's stories, there's layer upon layer upon layer. And it's all to encourage us in the gospel and to let us know that it's true. And all of it is a shadow of things to come. You see, Adonijah, he'd had this little secret ceremony at the serpent stone in secret with Joab and Abiathar and anyone else he could get to tell him he was the greatest. But what David's going to instruct as he rattles off the instructions, it's going to be very public. And he starts with these three people because they have the authority to do what Adonijah did not have. The king says, call me Nathan the prophet, call me Zadok the high priest, and call me Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He is the king's representative. He's his right-hand man, his most trusted guy. He's a soldier. He's the head of the so-called praetorian guard. Do you see it? They're going to execute it, and it's going to be done in public at the spring of Gihon, which is a public place right outside of Jerusalem. Take all the loyal servants. Take my loyal guard, the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and this is what you're going to do. You're going to put him on the royal mule. That's what you're going to do. You're going to anoint him. You're going to blow the trumpet. You're going to shout, long live Solomon. And then there's going to be a procession back up into Jerusalem, and you'll sit him down as co-regent on my throne. There's a prophet, there's a priest, and there's a king's representative. Jesus would come almost a thousand years later as the last prophet, the last priest, and the last king you'll ever need. So faith goes into action. And then we see the faith of Zadok, Nathan, and Benaiah, because they obey by faith. And Benaiah in particular, he's fast becoming one of my favorite characters in 1 Kings. And you'll see if you're reading ahead, if you know where your Bible's at. It says, Benaiah, look at his response. When David finally, with all eyes of Israel on him, what will he do? Who's the rightful ruler? And he says, he shall be king in my place. I've appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah after me. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, answered, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king, say so. What a response. Not, are you sure this is a good idea? Not, wait, what are all the details? Oh, to have more men, young men, old men, retired men, middle-aged men, fathers, sons, more men, that their response to God's word would simply be, amen. May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the King, say so. That's all it was. And then he goes on, as the Lord has been with my Lord, the King, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. That wasn't an insult. That wasn't an insult. That was faith in the God of the universe. That was a blessing on Israel and the kingdom of God advancing. And that didn't hurt David's feelings that his right-hand man say, may his kingdom be greater than yours. 
Because any father who loves his kid, isn't that what you want? And here's Benaiah who says, may the Lord, the God of my king, say so. And that's interesting too. He didn't say, as you wish, my liege. He knows this comes straight from God. And he gives his amen and he rejoices. And as a result of their faith, because they obey, they go get the Cherethites and the Pelethites and all the loyal servants and they put Solomon on the king's mule and they go to the spring of Gihon and that's where Zadok, the high priest, not a pretender priest, the high priest, anoints him in front of all those people. The trumpet is sounded and there's great rejoicing and there's a procession as he's on the royal mule back up into Jerusalem and their rejoicing split the earth with their noise. God's king is crowned and he's crowned because God's servants act in faithful obedience and they act in faithful rejoicing. When we come to Manistee on a weekend at that campus, when we come to Buckley on a weekend and our voices lift in praise, it is the least we can do. The least that he's owed. And we do it by faith. We do it by faith. And there's this beautiful picture, a shadow of the things to come. And it just points to how great our God is. It points to how great his word is. Did you see Jesus in the story? You see, we know that Jesus is the promised son of David who will rule forever. And we've been talking about how everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of the things to come. Solomon's not gonna be the best king, but he's a shadow of the greatest king. David's not the best king, but he's a shadow of the greatest king. And even in Solomon's coronation, we see a picture of Jesus. Solomon was put on a royal mule. At Jesus' coronation, he rode on a royal donkey. Solomon was anointed with oil. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. At his baptism, when the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove and the voice said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. There was a procession that followed Jesus into Jerusalem. For Solomon, they were singing long live King Solomon and celebrating that, that, that he was named king. The crowds for Jesus said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail the son of David. Do you see it? It's a picture. Solomon came to Jerusalem and he was sat down as a co-regent on the throne of his father, David. Jesus came into Jerusalem and he had one more thing to do. He went to a cross first where he willingly laid down his life and shed his blood to pay for the sins of David's adultery and the sin of murder and the sin of him being an absent father. And he also paid for the sin of Bathsheba's adultery. And he paid for the sin of Adonijah's self-exaltation. And he paid for the sin that we'll see that develops in Solomon's life. He paid for my sin and he paid for your sin. He had to go to the cross before he went to the throne. Do you remember? 
And then after three days in the grave, his father raised him from the dead. 40 days later, he ascended into heaven where scripture says, what did Jesus do? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, co-regent of the universe forever. Do you see it? In Solomon's crowning as the rightful ruler, we see a shadow of Jesus to come. And if we're looking carefully, this is for all of you end timers. When are we going to do Revelation? I got about 50 more books to go. (laughs) It says at the end of all things, this same king, there'll be a trumpet. And instead of the earth, the eastern sky will split. And there will be great rejoicing. And there will also be great mourning, depending on who you've named rightful king. What is the difference between those who will mourn and those who will rejoice? The difference is those who have faith. Those who have faith. We see the faith of Nathan, the faith of Bathsheba, the faith of David, the faith of Zadok, the faith of Beniah, the faith of the people who rejoiced. But what is faith? Faith, we see it in the story and all through scripture, faith puts belief into action. Faith puts belief into action. The scripture tells us that in James chapter two, faith without works is dead. Did you say it, Manistee? I don't know. <laughs> Let's try it again. Faith without works is? Dead. It's dead, dead, dead. You can say you believe it, but if you don't act on it, is it faith? Scripture says, can that kind of faith save you? In fact, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, it, it, it gives us a a richer picture of a definition of faith. In Hebrews 11, verse one, it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You can have assurance of something hoped for, but if there's no conviction, you'll never act on it. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Later in that chapter, in in verse six, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's the only way to be Christian. It's the only way to be saved. It's the only way to have a relationship with God. Scripture says, for it is by grace through faith that you're saved. That's the only way to receive God's grace is to believe. To believe his forgiveness of sin, to believe that he loves you, to believe he has a purpose and a plan, and that faith puts your belief into action. Now, it doesn't mean that your action is a bunch of good works to secure your faith. No, it means it's the outflow of a genuine faith. If you believe God is your rightful king, you're going to act that way. If you believe that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, is the ruler of your life, you willingly give him your obedience. You willingly serve him. You willingly do anything you can to advance the king and his kingdom. That's what Nathan did. That's what Bathsheba did. That's what Zadok did. That's what Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada did. Amen. May the Lord my God, the Lord of my king say so. And faith is not passively waiting for it to happen. 
And my fear is there's so many Christians, oh, I have faith and we hunker in the bunker and we shirk away and we never declare it like Nathan did. We never act on it like Bathsheba did. Despite the awkwardness of Abishag, the beauty queen, she still by faith said, I need to declare what is known. And what is happening that you're not aware of? By faith, David, even in his older years with gray hair and almost dead, he found a way to still lead by faith. Do you see it? So who's the ruler of your life? Who's the ruler of your life? So how do we apply this, this putting our faith, this belief, putting it into action? Well, first of all, It's through holy conspiracies. Now, I would guess that many of us are here because somebody engaged in a holy conspiracy at some point. There's countless men that the only reason you are saved, baptized, and here today is because a woman in your life engaged in a holy conspiracy to get you to stop focusing on your job, your truck, and your deer stand for half a second and look up. And you can resent that or you can thank her because that was a holy conspiracy. That was for your good. Are you with me? I'm thinking about how many families or marriages have been redeemed because of a holy conspiracy. Somebody said to somebody, if we could just get them to talk to the right people or, or maybe to come out of isolation and engage in a relationship in a community with other men or with other women, maybe we could get them some help. That's a holy conspiracy. I love holy conspiracies. A bad conspiracy is for my good or for my plan, but when it's to see the rightful ruler come to the throne in someone's life, that's a good conspiracy. Is God calling you to a holy conspiracy today? That person at your job that needs help and just needs Jesus. There's a holy conspiracy when you start figuring out, oh, here's a little, here's a little something to listen to. Oh, here's a book to read. Oh, what are you doing this weekend? That's a holy conspiracy. And those happen by faith. That's when we put our belief into action. That's one of the reasons this church has grown is because people believe by faith that this God is real, that he can save us, that his word has something to say. And when we invite our friends, that's no different than Nathan and Bathsheba saying, who's the rightful king? I wonder if God's calling you to engage in a holy conspiracy. How many of us as parents, we're engaged as a holy conspiracy against our kids? But some of us aren't. Well, I don't know. She's 14 and I don't know who she hangs out with. You're a man, aren't you? Flex. Before it's too late. Because when she's 18, it's too late. When she's 14, this is my house. That's my phone I paid for. That boy can stay away. That's a holy conspiracy. That's all it is. That's all it is. I wonder if God's calling some of us to engage in a holy conspiracy by faith. The beautiful thing, when our faith goes into action, usually we know it. Usually we know it. You don't need me to tell you what God's saying. If you're hearing the voice, if you're feeling the prompt, the push, and and, and it's not uh, uh, condemned by the Bible, in fact, it's affirmed by the Bible, you can talk to a bunch of people. I wonder if God's leading me to do that. I wonder if God's leading me to do that. You know what I just do? I go, yep, he is. (laughs) Especially if it has to do with serving and tab kids. (laughs) 
I'm like, yeah, he is, right? Because there are kids, you're here, and sometimes we just, you know, need you to just do it. It's a holy conspiracy. Faith goes into action. Man, I love it when I see people that don't check out, even in their old age, they still rally and lead. I've already been involved in that. I've been there and done that, and, you know, I already got all I need to get out of it. Well, what if God's calling you to give somebody else something all they need to get out of it? You ever think about that? I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to. Because I love you. There's a whole bunch of us that we don't engage in some of those little midweek community things because we've already gotten out of it what we think we need to get out of it. How selfish of us. Well, there was a time in my life I really needed Fight Club, but now my marriage is going good. My kids are grown. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I've got what I need. Well, aren't you just the ruler of your own kingdom? We always have something to give away, friends. I'm not saying that to hurt you. I'm saying sometimes we need you there because there's others that are brand new to faith. And they need someone like David to remind us. I know one thing, boys, as the Lord lives who's redeemed my soul out of every adversity. Now I'm going to act. Faith puts belief into action. And when that happens, individually and in our marriages, God's king is crowned. There's some of us that, that we're still fighting for the crown. We're just like Adonijah. We're trying to, we're trying to you know, it, it's, it's the musical chairs thing with the throne. And, and, and God sits on the throne. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God forever. And we just think with our own devices and our own wisdom and our own power, I don't need help with this addiction. I don't need help with this marriage. I don't need help with life. I don't need help with this depression or whatever it is with my money, with my resources. I'm just going to play the little bump game and see if I can get one cheek on that throne. Good luck with that. Good luck. It will not go well for you because there's only one rightful king. And some of us have said that we've crowned him as king of our life, but we try to take it back. Just this part. He's got all the parts that everybody sees, but the secret parts, I've kind of taken those back. You know, it's the way I was raised. You know, there was trauma. There was abuse in my life. I know, but he's the king and ruler of that too. He's the rightful king. And I believe he's calling us to faith. It's the only thing that pleases God. And faith puts our belief into action. So what's he calling you to? What's he calling you to, Manistee? What's he calling you to, Buckley Campus? Will you act on it? Will you bow your heads with me? We're gonna pray. And I believe that God's with us because you're here. His spirit is in you and two or three or more of us are here, but I believe that God is, his presence is, is thick and he's always speaking. And so if he's calling you to put your faith into action, whether it's to a holy conspiracy or to obedience or to surrender, or maybe you've tried to take back the throne and you need to crown him king again. Would you do that? Would you respond to him and not delay? It never goes well when we delay. It never goes well when we grasp it for ourselves. You'll see that next week. God, I thank you for your word. 
I thank you for its power. I thank you for the layers. I thank you for its depth. I thank you that all of it is a shadow of things to come, a shadow of the perfect man, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that you are the rightful king and that you shed your blood so I can have a relationship with you so my blood doesn't have to be shed. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your reign. God, I pray that we would again surrender to your rule and your reign in every area of our lives, that we would accept nothing less from ourselves than complete surrender. God, I pray you'll bless every holy conspiracy that's hatched today. And that as your people put faith in you into action, your sovereignty would work with our freedom to participate. And that the whole earth would split with the rejoicing. At the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.